0: my guitar wank listeners welcome to another guitar wank episode I am your host by no choice of anyone Troy McCubbin thank you for joining us we hope you are safe and well and life is just all wonderful this week we continue on with last week we're just gonna soldier on forward and do that we now have a guitar wank group thank you Chris one of our listeners was took it upon himself to make a group, and of course we approved it. But uh, yeah, if you don't know about it, you haven't joined it yet. Facebook, we now have a guitar wank group. I don't know what else to do with that, but uh, yeah, I guess that's helping community, right? Helping uh, with Bruce's community idea, which uh, we seem to be all jumping on, which is fantastic. So thank you for that. If you haven't gone to the website and. Um, got involved (coughs) excuse me got involved in the Guitar Wank competition uh, please do so if you don't know about it where have you been go to iTunes or Stitcher leave uh, an amazing review lie if you have to and then go to the website guitarwank.com sign up subscribe donate buy a mug buy a cap buy a t-shirt whatever and then uh, send us an email at guitarwank at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. And you're in the competition. We're going to be starting to give away massive prizes. And uh, we are at Guitar Wank. This is uh, X, right? No, X, Y. This is W. 99 X. 99 X. And then we've got Z or Z, wherever you come from. and uh, And that's it. That's the end of Guitar Wank. I think we should just stop there. No, we're not. We're going to continue on because we've got a shitload of prizes to give away. So uh, that'll be great. We've got a lot of great guests coming up. It's all happening, ladies and gentlemen. It's just amazing. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it with Scott and Bruce. And uh, thank you so much for all the support and everything else. And have an amazing week. And share! Share the Guitar Wank. If you want to really piss anyone off, share the guitar with <laughs> All right, be safe, guys. We'll uh, catch you all next week. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: All right, all right, uh, yeah. all right, fuckers. Um, Cheyenne Smith says, uh, standards. 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 Expert one in a long Experienced time. my first well, one from my German road. Shepherd and he did new discoveries Scotch. <laughs> Scott, sorry. Sorry. yeah, yeah. What, he, what about the standards? Um also just to catch up with Scott would be great. How's the tour on your album? Blah blah Anyway, so thanks uh Cheyenne. Thanks, mate. Uh Mike Cox
2: that was it he just wanted to tell us that his dog made a stander
0: He's German and he was asking if you've got any well, new discovery No standards. you
2: know what I haven't seen a stander in a long time well, I think Ruby go. may be maybe it, her St- Ruby and Jesus aren't getting along or something oh, That's rough Mike. Because you know usually Ruby is good for some really good um um Oh and you know by the way our friend Dan Zimmerman yeah. wrote me on my message board and said he doesn't think, because I was talking about the faces on the standards, and 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 I'm I'm pretty sure one of the ruby standards is the Pope, because you can see the Pope's hat, right. You can see his face. I'm pretty sure it's the Pope, and I mean it is, right? Because you can definitely see the hat and the face, and it's the Pope for sure. But we were talking about if you could actually have a dog that was, you know, like. Oh, it was a guy who actually made a stander in the toilet bowl. And he was like, he was, he was amazed by it because he says it's, I've never seen it happen in his life, but he actually pooped in the toilet and, and, and it stood up in the water. So he was saying, (laughs) and I asked him if there was a holy face on it. First, I asked him, wait a minute, are you talking about your dog? or you? And I said, "If you're talking about you, did you like shit outside? Like we were on a camping trip or something, or what?" And he said, "No, it was me, not my dog, but it was in the toilet." And I said, "Well, that is unusual." And then he had to
3: stand up to get away from it. Yeah,
2: and then (laughs) that's why we call it a stander. And then dizzy, dizzy, you know, friend Daniel Zimmerman, Uh, dizzy Gillespie. Yeah, yeah. he, he chimed in and said. Was there a holy face on it? And he said, Well, I didn't really want to get up in the water and look to see. But 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 we started talking about having Jesus on the face. Well, he was of a walking standard. on
3: water. He's yeah. already holy. Right, it is. But
2: he said he said, would it be possible for a dog to, you know, lay a standard with, with the face of Jesus? And he said it would take an extremely holy like dog, like maybe Lassie, who, you know, somebody, a dog that's just so pure-hearted and good that that could lay a standard with Jesus's face on it. And I said, well, or
3: Snoopy. I would disagree because I think every dog is that holy. Maybe
1: I, I mean in my unless he wasn't one dog, he was like many dogs. For maybe
3: your dogs, but all the rest of the dogs <laughs> you've seen my dogs yeah. in action. Oh yeah, your God, dogs they're are not weird. that holy. Your dogs are weird.
1: You know? Right. <laughs>
0: thanks Cheyenne for bringing that
1: up. My appreciate are, it, mate.
0: <laughs> Remember Buster at the
2: party? Yeah, <laughs> in my barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Mike Cox says.
0: Oh my <laughs> your cock yeah. says what? <laughs> no, Mike. Oh, mm. Mike. <laughs> let me get that right. Mike Cox says. Mickey, Mickey Cox says. If you could go, this is a good question, if you could go back in time and tell the amateur version of yourself to focus on a particular concept when it comes to music, what would it be, Bruce? Oh, shit. Come um, on. Think I about I would say, it.
3: first of all, don't take, don't take no shit from no motherfuckers. <laughs> Second of <laughs> all, pay attention to the details. Third of all, always brush your teeth. really that's it that's good enough but what about you playing that's what i'm talking about okay no really i mean you know like a lot of what we end up doing is we get involved in peer groups you know what i mean and we all kind of get into our thing and we compete in our little world and we wonder what everybody else thinks about us you know what i mean that drives a lot of our thing rather than what we really want what we really hear uh that was what i meant by don't let the motherfuckers fuck with your shit (laughs) the second thing is pay attention to detail which is like really do the work you know what i mean don't fluff off on like the hard work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. and brushing your teeth just you know that's like just being in the zen space of ritual and routine keeping oh and all going. there was that was like kind of a
0: karate kid wax that was wax fucking, up, karate. fucking karate you went old fucking karate Shalom <laughs> temple on us <laughs> <his> motherfucker <laughs> bruce i don't know where you go from there but what have you got <laughs>
2: I have no idea I don't even know what my amateur self was I think it's still me <laughs> so
3: what would you tell you now
2: what would you tell you now don't make this podcast longer than in four hours <laughs> that's,
3: that's the I main think that's, thing that I'm okay, thinking yeah, yeah. I think that's great advice from both yeah I wonder what time is the taco
1: truck close
0: <laughs> alright Gino he, uh, he wants to know I love when Scott uses the the whammy bar who who is your go-to whammy guy who is your who's your well, guy there's
2: mainly two i mean richie blackmore and jeff beck those are the guys who probably have had defined the style you know richie used it more in a in a bombastic way what about like hank a, marvin
0: uh sorry the shadows Americans don't know about him Uh, I don't know him oh my god he was one of the first Wemmy guys well probably not the first but anyway well okay so Blackmore and Dick Dale Richie Blackmore (laughs)
3: Dick
2: Dale Richie Blackmore was probably one of the first famous rock guitarists who used the bar as aggressively as he did he did yeah and then Jeff Beck kind of kind of Defined it more in a way that sounded more like a slide guitarist, you know, because right. he had a lot of slide licks. And most of my licks on with the whammy bar are really sort of meant to emulate slide guitar how you bend into a note, yep. how you kind of do. But there is some Indian influence too, because you hear that the sitar players do, do a lot of those little funny moves that I do with the whammy bar, but Jeff Beck does those too. Yep. You know, I hate to be compared to Jeff Beck because I know that there's a lot of stuff that he does. I don't do it exactly like him, but it's similar, mm-hmm. you know, but... But was it he inspiration for you? Well, Jeff Beck wasn't. Yeah. I've been I've been listening to Jeff Beck since I was, geez, since I was like 12 years old. So right. of course he's an influence yeah. on me. Yeah. But I don't, you know, my vocabulary is so different than his. You, you know like because i'm coming more from a <coughs> jazz rock vocabulary yeah. or fusion rock or bebop vocabulary mixed with the rock vocabulary if i only played rock then i think i would probably use the vibrato bar less because i would be afraid of sounding too much like jeff beck if i only played blues right and use the vibrato bar then you know because that's basically what jeff does he he plays blues using the the whammy bar i'm kind of playing jazz Using the whammy bar when, it sounds a bit different. Do you because I'm swinging kind
0: of? More yeah. The do style. you do you feel now like you? It's so incorporated in your playing now. Like if it's if you don't have one on it, like you're no, you're looking I actually, for it.
2: I actually use it a lot less than normal on this last tour. Oh yeah.
0: I would yeah.
3: I would say that yeah. I mean that was one thing I noticed on this. On, oh wow. on, okay. on Last Thursday night is is that the amount of usage of the bar was way less than had been during like the vibe station. I said, period. Wow. Yeah,
2: I kind of, I don't know why, but I, I found a tone that I really like. You can't hold the bar when you're picking, it's further back toward the bridge. Yep. So if you're picking further back toward the bridge, you can't have the bar in your hand. And I just got used to that tone and started liking that tone a lot. So I, did, I don't have my, the bar in my hand as much, so there, therefore I use it less. I only grab it like at the end of a note. Right. Or, or to do a vibrato or something like that. So I'm not using it as much, as but much? I still use it. Right. Wow. I like and, that. Qu-
3: and I would like to say something, because Scott brought this up, and I'm, I probably have said it after 150 fucking episodes, <laughs> but it, it bears repeating. Well And just... Scott can swing. <laughs> like Are very you? very few musicians jazz or otherwise can swing. I mean it's it's just shocking. He's got this time feel and this flow of notes that the the most exalted of jazz musicians will just like go he must want me to buy him dinner. And <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> he said this to me, too. He's just trying he to get some free food. He said this est- to me. He's my not est- pissing in your pocket. No, no. I got my aesthetics, too. And there's things I love and you know and don't yep. love. But just sitting there listening to him play and just hearing how he's just got this natural swing to his playing, regardless of whether he's playing rock or blues or Jazz right or, or wrong whatever it's <laughs> mostly wrong. loud or soft whatever <laughs> yeah. uh dissonant constant i mean there's just this he just swings his ass off i mean to like a shocking you know inhuman level
0: that is one that is one Bruce, i really
2: appreciate that because i really try i try to sometimes i i feel like i'm a little bit on the on the head side you know what i mean like a, I guess we all feel like that sometimes you feel like you're a little bit ahead of the beat but you don't know because right. well, you're not no, objective I mean, enough to know. All I can know. say
3: is like you know? you know you can take all of the other stylistic things away mm-hmm. and just that at its core for me is enough to like make me super happy. You yeah, know well, I when feel I'm, like as that a listener. too
2: when I go hear somebody and I feel like that it's it's flowing and and it feels good. Then the note choices aren't as important to me. Right. Exactly. As they, exactly. They, they, they and I'm not
3: saying. And I'm not. I'm yeah. not taking away from all the other. No, stuff. I know. I, I'm I understand. I'm just saying, deep at the core, that's like sure. something that that well, I sit thanks. there going, "Holy shit!" You know. I mean, it's like the presence how, of greatness. How does know? one? How does one to achieve such swing? I think swing. By, I think it's natural. I mean, I think the worst thing you can do is think about it. Right. Personally. Yeah. That's my personal feeling. The worst thing you do is think about it. It just comes from experience and listening and hearing, and then developing a style that enables it to come through you without you fucking it up.
2: You know there, when we, so many guys I mean, maybe Bruce doesn't run across this as much as I do because I've got guys that are far less experienced than you know Bruce's students. Some yeah. of my guys, they've never even played swing before. They've played standards. And they wanna learn how to swing, but to them swing is like a dotted eighth and a sixteenth. Right. It's like da 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 już a polka. Yeah. And or they'll play straight notes. Da 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 da. You know, when swing, real swing is triplet related. It's like the the first triplet and the last triplet of a three triplet thing. Right. It's sort of in between it's straight in between eights. That, in
3: between that and straight. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's it's in between straight eights and dotted eight sixteenths. Right. And so, and you just have to play enough. And what I one thing that i found that I tell people to do, and it seems to work for them, is I tell them first to just play straight eights. Just da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Right? And then I tell them to make the upbeat just a little bit louder. Pick a little bit louder when you play the upbeat, and it starts to sound like swing because only the velocity changes changes it. So it's going da da do, da do, da do, da do, da 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 da, and it's actually closer to swing than da 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 <laughs> right? But exactly. it's not quite there, but it's closer. But that helps. Start, it seems to help. Oh, him.
3: totally. It seems what, what, to help what, what ends up, up happening with swing? Music. With good, stu- with any student, with anybody, is like you interpret data in the wrong way. You're hearing what you, what you hear, and your mind immediately interprets certain things as as rhythmic when actually it's dynamic. Okay, so you'll hear doop a doop a doop a doop a do <laughs> right when it's really do wow 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 exactly
0: ah yeah. okay and
3: and it's easy to see how somebody could make that mistake and yeah uh just it's just like the data didn't come in right you know yep. and so you get it and of course on the guitar it's super easy to play short notes so that further it reinforces that doop a doop a doop a do mm-hmm. thing you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I mean, it's really hard to play long notes. And then it gets even harder to play long notes where you're articul- art- dynamically articulating notes differently. You dig what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's okay if you're going to play long notes on the guitar, we know you're just going to be bloodlessly even. <laughs> right. But all of a sudden now we want to do whoa. That's where everybody falls apart in playing jazz on the guitar that's really the place at all and and when it doesn't feel good doesn't sound good on that basic level no matter what you fucking play doesn't work
2: yeah I've even done this on a computer where you can just take a bunch of eighth notes on a computer and just make the upbeat a little louder like you know Ten or twenty ticks louder, yeah. and it starts to feel like swing. It's not really swing, but it feels more like it than when all the notes are the same volume. Same thing, right, so velocity yeah. has something to do with it. Wow. Sure does. And
3: yeah. that's that becomes a again back to the detailed part of the question we had. Mm-hmm. That's a detail.
0: Yeah.
3: It's you really, I mean, it, it. You know, it comes to you because you've listened so much to the music, and that's the sound you want to hear. And you make your body do it. Yeah. You know? That's yeah. one yeah. way to make it happen. That's the way I made it happen. Yep. Another way to make it happen is just to really work it out too, you know to like be aware of it now that we've talked about it and to actually practice it now I didn't do it that way I was copying horn players and piano players, you know, I wanted to Give sound me, like can, that. Give me, if
0: you guys got a great example of like so, it's something,
3: something I that never swings? practiced
2: either. You just listen to guys do it and then try it. Right, to, but you can't to, now
3: that. But we didn't yeah. have anybody say to us, "Hey, if you do this, right. it'll be better." Right. This could that could have saved us some time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I'm sure that by
2: telling my students that they need to what they need to do to get closer to what they want to sound like, yeah, it's definitely saving them some time. Yeah. Hopefully, because that's what we're paid yeah, for. That's one of the things that I disagree really. Super disagree with Jeff Berlin about where we were talking about where Jeff Berlin sort of Teaches students how to read and he teaches them the technical stuff But he really stays away from teaching them feel and I disagree and a lot of people disagree with him They say well if you don't teach a musician to sound good. What are you actually teaching him? Mm-hmm. you know, it's like anybody can just dole out information to somebody Or teach somebody how to read but if you don't teach somebody how to make whatever's coming out of the speaker sound good you're not really doing your job as a teacher because people don't care about this shit they only I mean by this shit I'm looking at my fingers and I'm looking at my (laughs) neck of the guitar and I'm mr. technical here yep what people hear is what comes out of your speaker and you've got to make that sound good, tone, feel, the whole thing. That's all so, such a big part of music. So I don't quite understand why Jeff doesn't, he doesn't see it that way. But I, I can't really understand.
3: Everybody a, has their own way of yeah, doing it. Yeah, everybody's
2: got it. You know, and I love Jeff. He's a good, good friend of mine. And and it's just that that aspect of his teaching, I, I guess he just feels like that sooner or later, the student's going to get it. Right. And it may take a number of years, but they're going to get it. Maybe he just doesn't want to waste time. <laughs> he doesn't want to take time teaching it to him because it's harder to teach. Well, I mean, it's a lot easier to say, "Put your finger here, and now put your finger here." That's easy. Anybody yeah. can do that. But to try to get somebody to teach them how to swing or to get good tone, that's a lot harder.
3: You know? Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, like these famous teach. There's this guy named S- Sandoli. You know, Dennis Sandoli. And- I there. don't know who who is they he? were the, the the Philadelphia guys who taught Coltrane and Betty Oh Gerson okay a horn and, player yeah and piano I uh-huh. think I think one I think one of the brothers was a guitar player but they never played with their students and and from what I understand they never discussed feel it was all about just learn these elements of music mm-hmm. and they figured you take it and do what you want with it mm-hmm. you know it was like they were very much if they played with the student, they didn't want to influence their students in any way, you know. And, and there's there's a brilliance in that too. I mean, obviously, since Coltrane came through it, we can't really say it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, obviously, right. <laughs> you know, but I mean, everything. We're just human beings trying to <laughs> navigate through life here. Jesus, the Mongol, just gave pawn and game of life. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: all right, give me a good example for people. Something that people to listen to that really swings. Like a great example of great swing.
3: Well, to me, I would <clears throat> I would listen to numerous things. Okay, but just right off the besides Scott, of course, is I would listen to um, Lester Young, mm-hmm. the Count Basie Band, Charlie Parker. Johnny Griffin, Hank Mobley, um, I would definitely, did I say Oscar Peterson yet? No. Oscar Peterson trio, they have a way of swinging that is just so, got so much impulsion. I'm Amad Jamal. I'm Amad Jamal, Man. definitely, definitely. Um, I think if you start there, yep, you're in good you'll state. get an idea of what swinging is. And Bob Wills. Bob Wills in the Texas players. Duke Ellington. Duke
2: Ellington, and, of course Cal Basie man those Count guys, Basie, that's the place. To they start. had a fucking thing. It was just that's insane, the place man. Yeah. The feel is just so deep and it's just so amazing. It, it, everything they played, every yeah. note they played, really, they just, just had listen this to that shit, man. And
3: you know, and, and fucking great shit. And you want you know, if you want to swing good, apprentice yourself to the best drummer around that's just 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 hang out with them and play with them and you know listening to them is going to teach you one thing but playing with them is going to take it up to like a, another level. level and just play with them and don't be so damn wrapped up in your own shit you know what i remember the first let them play gigs, for you
2: first couple gigs i did with joe La barbara yeah he's one of the first really true jazz drummers that i ever played with like mm-hmm. really a real jazz drummer. You're lucky drummer, you started right? there because that's like,
3: one of the baddest motherfuckers boy,
2: ever. He really just—it's insane. Like when you play with that guy. You feel like you're floating on a cloud, man. Mm, Like, it's just... I can't describe the feeling of it. It, it, Like butter, right? It's like butter. It's like... It's all the good things in life, man. (laughs) The feel is... It's so supportive that you just feel like you can do no wrong. Exactly. And that guy is playing. Yeah. It's unbelievable. He has such a great feel for swing, you know. And he's one of those guys that... He may be a bit, you know, he's not one of these guys, he does this, he does that, he does that. He's basically, he is a bebop drummer, and that's what he does. And it's just like, wow, he does it really well. Right, and he's in a
3: long lineage of great players. But Joe Joe is just an amazing, but also Joe is amazingly supportive, amazingly musical. I mean, he's got all those things, but, you know, I would go back through the history of of jazz drums. If you really want to understand the swing and the rhythm, that's where it's coming from. So, like, Mm -hmm. start with Papa Joe Jones and and Gene Krupa and Sid Catlett. And then, you know, get up into the Art Blakey, Philly Joe Jones. Yeah, Philly Joe Jones. Elvin Jones.
2: Elvin Jones, for sure. You,
3: You definitely want to check out Shelly Mann. You know, these are people that if you don't know... And Roy Haynes, of course. If you don't know these guys and you can't really hear them and tell them apart, you're asking a lot of yourself to try and swing. Mm. Yeah, that's true. If you just like know that. And so when you play with Joe, as great as Joe is, believe me, and he's one of the greatest on the planet Earth right now, and I mean, I didn't even get into the more modern guys like starting with Tony Williams and Jack D. Jeanette mm-hmm. and Peter Erskine and all those guys, you know, and Jola Barbara. I mean, and Buddy Rich is another one. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's tons more of where I mentioned. But if you just get those like eight or nine guys that I mentioned and find records that they're on and listen to them, Mike Clark. And, you know, Mike. Mike is another <laughs> oh, man, one. But Jesus. you know, I mean, again, more modern. Yeah. More if you modern, just get back seriously. to those original guys I mentioned wow. and understand and just listen to what it feels like and how they interact with the soloist and how everything is coming from the way they're setting up the beat. that the music, because this came from New Orleans. Yeah. You know, this music came from New Orleans. And a difference of like a New Orleans drummer, if you listen to him, in my opinion, and of course I'd love to talk to a guy like Johnny Vidakovich or Shannon Powell or one of the, you know, Herlin Riley, one of the, one of the true New Orleans guys that's that's like at the top right now but to me like the difference between New Orleans drums and as they evolved into jazz is like the drummers from New Orleans play from the bottom up like it's about kind of the kick drum and the toms and the snare and then the cymbal is just kind of a thing you know I mean there's that second-line feel oh, okay. that we call yeah. it. That's underneath everything, right? And you can hear it in like the New Orleans drummer, like Eddie Blackwell, who played with Ornette Coleman. But as Papa Joe and Gene Krupa, which were still in strongly in that New Orleans style, as it morphed into more like Philly Joe Jones and Art Blakey and those guys, it, the jazz drums, sort of the cymbal, the top part, became a big part of it, and the drums became interactive rather than the, the groove keeper. Right, if that makes sense? Yeah, the groove does, went. The yeah, groove went is. to the right yeah. hand, and now right. now all the shit that's happening underneath was kind of like the, the percolating yeah. volcano. Yeah, And for you to understand how that feels and how that works and how your playing interacts with that, if you really want to swing and you don't know that, can you see my point of not yeah. knowing the details of yeah. yeah. some really important shit? Yeah, yeah. That's my yeah.
2: Actually th- there was there were times when I would look over at Joe LaBarbera and he's just playing a cymbal. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. He's not playing his kick drum. <laughs> he's not playing a snare. He's just He's not even going to ch- ch- no, on the no, no, no. He's just playing a cymbal. Sometimes just quarter notes. Yeah. No. Just
1: it, it not even so da, good. da
2: da da just ch- 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 just quarter it feels notes feels with, so a, good. with an with Once in a while, a little you know, a little pickup, quarter note or accent, and you just go, "How can this feel so good when that's all he's doing?" Wow! It's just man, it's just it's a magic that you that he has in his he just has in his body, you know, the way his body connects to the drums. That's it. Yeah, right. It's just a thing from experience. It's just he's so fucking good. Wow!
3: And. Marvin
2: Smitty Smith, man, Jesus Christ! Smitty's another know. one. I mean, these Smitty's are all young ridiculous. guys who are
3: coming from that, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. from that tradition and doing it. And you know, I, I would, I feel really safe to say, having listened and played with Art Blakey and Philly Joe Jones and Art Blakey, Elvin Jones. You know, I have played with all those guys um, and Shelly Mann. I think they'd all say that these guys like Smitty and Joe are playing better than them. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the evolution of the drums. They didn't have themselves to listen to when they were yeah. coming up. You well, know? the
2: bar gets raised in and with every and generation. Music and, every, and you yeah. know, the
3: funny thing is, is Barney Kessel said that to me. You know, one day he was one night we were playing a gig together, and you know, he was pretty much close to my age. You know, and I, I'm, I was a young twenty-eight year old, twenty-five year old whippersnapper. And, you know, we got around the second set, and I was heating up, and he was, you know, he was just burning, but, and he looked at me, and he goes, you're going to find out what it feels like.
1: What are you talking about? And he
3: says, you know, when some young kid just starts eating your fucking lunch, you know, I mean, he didn't say fucking, because he didn't right. talk much, but it was like, eating your lunch. He says, you, you remember this day. Remember this day, you're going to be playing somewhere and you're going to realize that the next guys, they started playing with what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Like the day they started playing, they thought that's how you're supposed to play the guitar. They started there. So they took it so much further and here you are and they're kicking your ass and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> that's how
2: I felt when I, when I go down there and see the Holsworth tribute show yeah. and there's this little guitar player like... Just playing that same stuff that Alan plays, you know, that crazy fast legato stuff where it's a different type of fingering. It's like sort of like three notes a string all the time. Yeah. And it just. Strings morph into each other easier than, like, say, a, a blues player yeah. like me. So I'm looking at this guy and go, and I'm thinking, yeah, I've got like a chop or two <laughs> compared to that guy. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, and, it's and just, Barney told me this is exactly insane, what it would be yeah. like. And, yeah.
3: and last night at my gig, a guy reminded me because he had hung out with Barney right after I played with him. You know, and and then I I reminded him of what Barney had said to me not long after that. So it's like I'd played, you know, on that or on that same gig, you know what I mean? And it's like, wow. it's true." You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, of course it was easier for me to play. And not that I played his stuff cuz he had a lot of stuff that I ever never got close to. But in general, my ability to play my way around the instrument was stronger than him and, you know, cleaner and faster, you know. And um and it pissed him off yeah it really did and he like told me he says well you know just remember this day <laughs>
0: you remember so it oh yeah i do because oh. this
3: happens to me every day at school <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what you know it's you know yeah. what's, it's so
0: ironic that you bring up barney kessel the next question is right. asked about barney kessel wow um it's from simon a question for bruce and scott if you want to interject You've talked about some of the older jazz guitarists who have either either you knew or influenced you before, like Barney Kessel and others. Just wondering if you knew uh, Jimmy Rainey. Oh yeah. And if he was an important influence in your development. If he seems to fly under the radar a lot when the um, with the guitar great it gets discussed. So
2: he does because I don't know his playing very. Oh, much. you really need to. I
3: don't know. Jimmy Rainey no, no. was in that group, kind of with Barney, but he's more like considered in that group with Tal Farlow okay. You know, Uh um, and Jimmy was like a swinging bebopper. He didn't live in New York, I mean, I don't know exactly, he was from Kentucky, and I don't know whether he was on the New York scene very, very much, he Uh played with Stan Getz, that was his big... uh, He's not alive, I take it. No, Jimmy's gone, Um, and he, you know what I mean, he had some issues, of course everybody did then, but... He he just played some brilliant music, wrote some great tunes. His mm-hmm. his what he's most known for is his time with Stan Getz. Oh um, he played with Stan Getz. Yeah, yeah. Um there's a, a great live at Storyville double record. Well it's probably on one thing. Did he either. play with Stan Getz with a keyboard player or did he was it both, just him? Both. Both, okay. But the one at Storyville is is there's keyboard on it. And um, it's a great record. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a, br- a bunch of tunes that, that were kind of Stan's hits at that time. Mm-hmm. And he's just really way more legato mm-hmm. than Tao or Barney mm-hmm. was. You know, he really could flow mm-hmm. in a very, and just, a, and there's a lot of great stuff about him. Again, it was just, I think more of the reason he wasn't known was because he wasn't really on the New York scene as much. And then as in the 50s when it switched to L.A. and all of a sudden the L.A. West Coast scene was happening. Barney was here and was doing all that. I mean, they're all great. I'm going to check
2: it out. There's probably
3: some YouTube stuff. Oh, there's tons of it. And he has a son named Doug Mm -hmm. who was also a great player, recently passed away. He's my age and uh, lived in Copenhagen a long time. And uh, great player, Doug Rainey is a great player. And and how? And actually, a lot of people have confused the two of us because we kind of looked alike when we were young. Oh, and okay. Similar hair and yep. all sorts of stuff. So, um, and Doug was a great player. Unfortunately, he passed away. I think about a year ago, two years
0: and, ago. And and what year was Jimmy around? Well, Jimmy, I think
3: he passed. me we'd have to Google that. I don't even want to guess. His main years were the Tau Farlow. Right, Barney okay. Kessel years, so we're talking fifties, sixties. Yep. Mm-hmm. You you play with Tel, yeah, and I played with Jimmy for a second, but yep. not in the, obviously in the fifties, sixties. Yeah. You know, later yeah. in the seventies, but. Um
0: both interesting, Tal seemed like an interesting kind of guy. Tal
3: had a very interesting story, you know, I mean, he played and then he kind of quit and he had a comeback and you know, he was a sign painter and he was a really brilliant man. He, Pretty big guy, he, right? He, a Very big guy and he developed, a, you know... He, he, you know um, but did he have massive hands? Big big hands and he, and he developed the Tal Farlow guitar, which was a short-scale neck. He wanted to have a short-scale neck so he could really reach for... Which is, of course, you know, in many ways... The first guy to play some of the voices we're hearing today played by the modern guys.
2: That's true, yeah. You know? Because he was one of those
3: stretchy guys. Yeah. He right, had a lot of know, he closed, voices. He liked close voicing. Because he had big you hands. Know, I mean, so. Jim Hall's famous for that too. Yeah. In a different way, but Tao was really infatuated with it, and that's why he developed that. Joe Diorio
2: was totally infatuated with it too. Right. Always, well, always but
3: Tao really was was a guy that he was really into. Uh-huh. We talked about it, mm-hmm. and Joe really, I would say, is the unsung hero of the modern guitar. Everybody knows about Jim Hall, mm-hmm. but Joe, yeah, Joe, the, the the new style of voicings that all the guys have been playing for the last thirty sure. years in jazz. It's very... Joe DiOrio is a huge, Yeah, I mean, I did
2: a, a voicings book and half that book are voicings that I learned from Joe. And they're the stretchy kind of voicings where, honestly, I don't really use them in... Uh, you know, what happened to me is I discovered open strings in writing. Right. Not so much in improvising because yeah. in improvising I do try to, you know, play some stretchy chords, but but when writing I always found that... Once I've written a section of harmony, if you get open strings in there, you can get that same clustery sound without having to, without having to do this. Right. And it also kind of makes the band sound bigger because that jangly open string sound yep. kind of widens, widens the tone everything. and widens everything up. So I use more open strings to get that, that closed interval thing. But either way, that's coming from Tal and Joe mm mm-hmm. And for me, Joe, because I didn't know about Tal that much, like Bruce does. Right. I learned about him much later after I had met and studied with Joe. But man, the moves that Joe could make with those stumpy little hands, <laughs> like his hands were really small. Like you would think when you'd hear him play, you would think his hands must be really big like Holesworth when he's playing those giant voicings. But Joe had really small hands and it was amazing that he could stretch his fingers as far as he could stretch them for having such small hands. Don't you think so, Bruce? He can't hear me, he's peeing. <laughs> Bruce is pooping right now, so he's...
0: <laughs> hey, he's oh, back. Don't, uh. you, don't,
2: don't you think that it's amazing that Joe had these little stumpy hands. But he was able to to stretch his fingers oh, yeah. really far on the neck and play these really amazing voicings. But his hands were really small and kind of stumpy, right. yeah. You know, but it was it's like you to see his hands, you would never think he could make some of those voicings, but he did it. He was just
3: somehow able to, yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> get his fingers <laughs> and stretched. He out, and you like, know, what I mean,
3: and I was talking to Bill Cunliffe about this, who's a great piano player. Um, I know Bill. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like. You know, there are the piano players. Hey, Bill has really small hands, you know. And there are the guys that got the, you know, the basketball yeah. suckers. And there's just a way of kind of moving. You play this much of this and then you move to that much of that. You know what I mean? You don't play it all at once. You don't just mm-hmm. go. <laughs> you right. go, gring. Yeah. And it sounds like you're getting it all at once. Yeah. And you just kind of see. And Joe had that, as much as he had that, those small hands, he was like a ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. He could just like you make you think you were hearing it all at once, but he would kind of mm-hmm. wow. put it all together. Man, he, he his
2: solo guitar stuff, he would just you know, one of the great things about him at the school, I remember, was just he would just you would just say, Joe, just play it, play a standard, let me pick one, and he let you pick a standard, right? And he would just look at it, you know, kind of suss it out, and then he just play it in the most amazing way you, not so much with a bunch of like different harmony of chord substitutions not not that modern like that's what phil degree would do that right. phil degree would just look at it like Zolinal. Mm. you know he would just look at a, a standard and already he's thinking of every other chord than the chord that's actually written on the page <laughs> right and he's going to make it sound like it came from another world but joe was very fairly strict. I mean, he wasn't like always sidestepping chords and playing like instead of A to D playing B flat to E flat first and then, I mean, he did, you know, the stuff that all the jazz guitar players do, it wasn't really about that. It was more about how interesting every single chord sounded and how the voice leading between the notes were really like, like, like Keith Jarrett would do or Ted Green was amazing at that too where it's not just about the top note. That's a guy like me. Like, I can play a nice chord melody thing and make a beautiful path for that top note to go through those chords and make it sound really smooth, but I'm not concerned about any of the notes in the middle. <laughs> They're just, whatever they do is what the fuck they do. Right. Where you've got these guys that are concerned about every single note in the chord and every single note moving to its next available nice note, which Ted Green was so good right. at and that's and, um, that and, is
3: therein lies what we talk what I was said details yeah and, and details. also classical
2: because that's coming from a classical right. you know where you're yeah. you're, you're, you're talking about you know, paying attention to every single voice in the chord, not just the top note. I'm a top note guy. I'll be the first one to admit it. You know, I can I can play a nice melody through the chords, but what those other three Otherwise, notes or four well, notes are doing. Otherwise, if you were a bottom it, note guy, yeah. you'd be a bass player. Yeah, right, right. But yeah, but, but I'm not so concerned about you know because when I play chords, it's mainly either to comp or. Now writing's a different thing. When right. I'm writing a tune, of course I'm concerned about every single aspect of it. But I'm just talking about like if I was gonna comp for a saxophone player, I would just make the first note interesting and then whatever happens under it is just what happens.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but of these other guys, man, Joe was very conscious about how he could voice lead the whole chord and and make the the whole just make it sound so interesting because he had so many different and i'm and bruce does too i mean you know, but, just,
3: but, but but just being said i mean yes i am as concerned with every note as joe yeah. was however joe i'm a lot more without being apologetic you know i mean i'm a, I'm a lot more conventional in my tastes than yeah. joe is and was yeah joe That's joe
2: what. was was really trying to he was always trying to stretch it into something mm-hmm. else, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, That's all. And yeah. it's beautiful.
3: I mean, yeah. in the world, it takes it takes all kinds, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm yeah. not going to apologize for being who I am, and I'm going to do nothing but admire who Joe is. <laughs>
4: took me to court in the middle of the day
2: see him do it though because you you know especially since he let you pick the tune it's not like something he had worked out right it was right. just that he
3: knew the instrument so well and he knew each string but so in, well but in, inside just, that you know. is a big lesson too which is like understanding and this is what we talked about with, with the um Lesson we talked about the mother tunes. We did, did a thing while you were gone, where I went through the mother tunes and showed all the harmonic moves. Mm-hmm. And you like, you develop ways of, you know, basically it's going to go to the four, it's going to do a turnaround, it's going to go down to the relative minor, it's going to go to the two dominant, which is sort of like the relative minor. You know, that's where the harmony's going. Mm. So you start to develop these interesting personal ways that you like to hear it to go. And then you play a tune you say stella by starlight or you stay just friends or you say happy birthday whatever you say all those all that information that i already have in my in my thing Mm -hmm. i have to use to create whatever i create in that moment Mm -hmm and you know and that's where coming we're really working out those basic mother tunes and those moves mm-hmm. in finding your style and your voice leading things inside of do you know what i mean that that enables him to like play a tune like he's never played before or hardly ever played before mm-hmm. uh, and create that kind of sound you're hearing because mm-hmm. he's he's approached those moves in other songs so many times so knows, that, that, yeah. that those they're not licks but they're almost like licks mm-hmm. in right. a way
0: Right, right. But um, I love uh, There's a lot of golden nuggets tonight, which is awesome. Uh, you Tim, know, Tim, you know, Tim, unfortunately,
3: asks- so the ones that aren't gold might have a funny <laughs> odor to them.
0: <laughs> 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 why, jo- <laughs> uh, Bruce? Why not Johnny Walker Black?
3: What are you calling me, Prejudice?
0: No, why not Johnny That's Walker Black? That's what this black? is about.
3: This is ba- this is like some appropriation baiting or something. Johnny, Johnny, Walker, Johnny black. Walker Black is lovely. I love it.
0: Well, maybe Tim needs to send us some, Tim. Okay, you know, <laughs> I got
3: no problem with black. I mean, no. the red. Generally, I drink the blended ones, and I know everybody looks down their nose versus single malt, but I kind of like to put an ice cube in it, Yeah, and I feel guilty when I do that to like somebody's life, blood. You know what I mean? Um but I do appreciate the black. I if if you know, you put the blue and the black and the red together, which I've never done. I uh, I'd be happy.
0: Let's do it. Come on over Tim and we'll do a tasting. All right, Tim. Thanks, mate. Um uh Scott, I've always this is from uh, Tamlin Dalton. I've always wanted Temelin? to Tamlin Tamlin. Is that a girl or a guy? Oh, fuck. I'll just Tamlin. Love- I just never heard it. that name before, ever. Oh, here it is. Robin Tamlin? Tamlin. Tamlin 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 Tamlin. All right. Um, I've That's al- an interesting name. Yeah, I'm probably saying it wrong. Uh, <laughs> I've always wanted to It's actually Tammy. He's just <laughs> saying Tammy. It's probably, yeah, it's probably Timothy. It's it's Bob. It's actually Bob. Yeah, I've always wanted to know how Scott got Thelma Houston to sing on Tall Down House. Uh, she is just brilliant on that. I, ha- I hate you still. Um, I hate you still cracks me up whenever yeah, I listen to it. it How did you get Thelma yeah. Houston?
2: Because the bass player that I was playing with, John Humphrey, had done a few gigs with her um, in her band, I think. Right. And so I needed a singer, and, and, and I was looking to get somebody, um, not necessarily famous, but just somebody that, that could cut the material. Well. you know. And he said, man, you should, should, I mean, of course I knew who she was, and I'd heard her sing many times. But I never thought she would do it. Yeah. But my bass player insisted that I call her and just sound her out on it. And when I sent her the music, she was really happy to do it because she said it was so different than anything that she normally does. Oh, wow. So she was like really into doing it just because it was so different. Yep. Um, Normally, she she pretty much improvises everything because it's all blues based. Yeah. Right? And... But yet, I had specific melodies that I wanted her to sing, and I <laughs> yeah. don't think she'd ever really done a lot of that. Where, yeah, you've got to sing this melody, but you still have to do your thing, right? You, you have to, you know, you have to. What do they? What do you call it when you something a melody? You, you embellish, uh, embellish it, right? Yep. Exactly. So you embellish the melody with your thing. And she was really looking forward to trying to do that, and she did such a fantastic job of it. Oh, she killed. And I Hate You was a first take. Really? And I was like, how can these two people sing this ridiculous thing without breaking out laughing? (laughs) And they did. They did. On the very first take, it was a one take. Really? One take. Wow. Almost for everybody, even me. That's like, it was a one take
0: tune. That's fucking And they awesome.
2: just killed it, man, but she was and she also she was so nice to work with. Like That's she was so such awesome. a sweetheart. Yeah. And one of those ladies that just doesn't seem to age because every year I would see her, I mean, she looks so young and she's in her 60s or maybe 70 <laughs> by now. She looks so like Tina Turner, yep. just ageless, man. Yeah.
0: She's amazing. I love that. Love her singing. Love that. Um here's one from John Horn I want to know if it was difficult for, for Bruce to stay in the one to two minute mark for his pieces on Junkyard Duo, <laughs> since since jazz pieces are usually much longer. Was it hard, Bruce?
3: Uh, it was hard. <laughs> uh, no, it, it was it was interesting. You know, the first couple we did, because it's not like. It was jazz, so we didn't really want to rehearse stuff. We just went in and made that stuff up. Everything you hear there is other than... Well, no, there's a couple of songs that I've recorded before that we played, but right. but but we didn't do them first. So no. we we just started playing and getting the feel of what one minute was. We just screwed around with a timer. That's hot. We played for a minute and played for a minute and then realized, okay... And then then I then we'd come up with an idea for something, and I'd write something, and then we'd play on it. And, of course, you want to state the theme. You want to make something happen. You want to kind of close it out, just like you would in six minutes or 12 yep. minutes or 30 minutes. I mean, it's the same basic narrative arc. You've just shortened the time frame. And, and so when we did it, that's kind of what we did. It's like, okay, you know, this is a song that deformed... You know, one chorus takes over a minute. Okay, we're just going to do an A and and half the B and then come back to the last half. You know, we're just going to cut this down like this. It's based on this song, but it's my new melody here. Of course, you want to have some sort of statement of theme, some sort of embellishment, improvisation thing, and then recapitulation, ending, you know, basic music form. And so was it hard? Uh, Everything is hard. Music is not easy, you know, I mean, I wish it were, it's simple, but it's not easy. Uh, um, but I would prefer to think of it, it was just a challenge. And and it was a great creative challenge to try and work within that parameter, you know, for that group. And it was just um, a great challenge and something I learned a lot from and enjoyed. Uh, hard, everything's hard, so I don't know, the word hard is kind of... Uh, it was a challenge, and hopefully most people will find that it was worth it.
0: All right. I do. I um,
3: like
2: it. I, I finally got a chance to listen to it, the whole thing, you know, because I had a drive. And I don't <coughs> listen to music unless I'm in my car, so mm. I finally had a drive where I could just put the whole thing on and listen to it for the first time. And I like it. And the, and, but what's weird, something psychologically happened to me when I listened to it. The tunes that are jazzy, it doesn't sound like a resonator guitar to me. And the tunes that are not jazzy, it sounds like a resonator guitar. Well, there's guitar. a reason
0: for that. Wow.
3: Why? Okay, <laughs> the thing about a resonator guitar is that reverby length of note. The length of the notes, and of if, course. And in jazz, we're pl- there's so much stuff happening that the new stuff happening covers that gotcha. that reverberation. You got it. Got also, it. Totally. also, I'm not stupid... I know I look it, but um, <laughs> I'm not as stupid as I look. maybe is what I mean to say um, I picked keys for the jazzy tunes that didn't activate the open string oh as well. gotcha, gotcha so like I'll be playing a uh, jazzy tune I'll be in E flat well it's really only the G string that's going to be right. like resonating open while I'm playing. Gotcha. But then there's like that tune, Object of Infection or uh, mm-hmm. Tinderly, mm-hmm. where we're in A. And now every note I hit, including the fact that I'm leaving lots of space, uh-huh. ev- the whole guitar is screaming. Right. gotcha. So that's why you heard Gotcha. Well, and I get it, And And actually I was aware of it, and it was conscious.
2: Well, you know, knowing, <laughs> you know that I'm a weirdo, yeah. so I like my favorite tunes were the weird ones. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the chain gang. Yeah, That's right. my favorite one. Yeah, right, I mean, yeah. I could listen to that like over that and over and, over and over and over. And that would be the, great this, in a movie. So, yeah. yeah. That's like, to that reminds me of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, I like the jazzy ones too, because you play great jazz. But my favorite ones are the ones that are just fucking whack. Yeah. You know, they're just, they don't, they're just like, Either a, a bunch of noise or they're just crazy and you're just playing just demented shit. Yeah. And that's my favorite shit. Well, well, it's like, and, it's and so actually, fucking cool. And
3: actually, this is a disclaimer. <laughs> the last tune, which is called... Um, I love that tune. Whale well, I Needed. I really like that tune. Which is, well, I need. Well, I, anyways. Yeah, yeah, I really <laughs> like that tune. Anyways, but... It's um, a good song. <laughs> when we originally played that, it was just an idea. We said, hey, I got an idea. And Jake said, what? I said, let's just free improv. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just play as long as we want, and we'll just like take the best minute out of it and make tunes for the record out of it. Mm -hmm. Jake said, dang, that's a good idea, you know, because we were like writing tunes, and like after about writing 25, 30 tunes in a day, you know, you're like, Mm -hmm. fuck, I've written everything I know. Mm -hmm. Okay, (laughs) you know, and so we just played a free piece. Mm-hmm. figuring we'd take the best minute here the best minute there you know because mm-hmm. you can do that in the studio now mm-hmm. and we did it and we played it and then you know later we listened back to everything we did and we listened to this piece and we went like you know it's kind of okay just the
1: way <laughs> yeah right <Just laughs> you know i mean we, so
3: we figured after a bunch of one minute songs we'll give you six minutes you know yeah. <laughs> and so we just left it that way at the end of the thing and it and you can hear how like it starts off here and then it becomes drum centric and then i think i think the last like two minutes is just kind of solo guitar mm-hmm.
2: really uh, it's really cool i like that tune a lot and we just sort of made it up it really reminds me of what tribal tech did at the end of the band where we were just jamming in the studio and it's it's li- like if you just jam, all you're doing is copying bitches' brew because that's what they did. Mm-hmm. They just went in the studio and, and played until the tape ran out. Yeah. Right? And it's usually one key. And they weren't trying to make a form. It was just basically this, yeah. a flat thing. Not that they weren't playing great shit, but it didn't have much dynamics. It just was sort of like, it just went on. Right. You know what I mean? And on and on and on until the tape went out. And what we tried to do was the same thing, only make a form and set a right. time limit. Like, like okay, this there's got to be a melody section. There's got to be a section where maybe somebody plays a solo. There's, there's got to be kind of a B part. Then there's got to maybe you're going to come back to the A part or not if it goes right. somewhere else. But the thing is, is, it's jamming with a conscience. It's jamming with a sense of responsibility. Right, right. And, if yeah. you, and if you
3: distill yeah. that down to two people,
2: yeah. then then, then yeah.
3: all of a sudden it becomes way more about passing the baton like mm-hmm. a relay race playing together taking it new places and like I say I mean at, at the end I just I found myself chasing it was like kind of contra, counter contrapuntal. Mm-hmm. you know I'm just kind of like following the lines and Jake just kind of just got out of the way he says well you know we played together you were the leader here I was the leader here you know what I mean you, if you listen to that you could kind of suss out what we were thinking as we did Mm -hmm. it but it was just like okay we the the original intent was we're going to pull the best minute out of the you know we figure if we get two or three songs out of that sure we were going to be lucky
1: yeah (laughs) and it just ended up being a thing
3: such a cool way to make music
2: when the majority of of music in the world is made, is written by one guy who taught it to a bunch of other guys who rehearsed it and then went in and recorded it. Right. That's the normal way to make music, right? So when, when I got involved in the tribal tech thing and we got away from, you know, okay, we're gonna play my tune now. Okay, now we're gonna play his tune. <laughs> and and we got into this thing where it was just totally organic and jamming and it was everybody's tune. It was so easy to see how and why it happened because this guy did this which influenced him to do this which influenced me to do this and and then it just sort of happened and the only difference is instead of the 1 minute thing it's maybe 6 minutes right are just trying to or it could be even 10 minutes but just trying to to make it go like a song like in other words jam but know that this isn't going to be a one chord loop this is going to be a song Mm. so we might want to insert chord changes we might want to do whatever we're going to do to it but eventually it's going to end up being a song that sort of sounds like someone composed it yeah yeah but with all that interplay you know and and it's so similar his record to the tribal tech thing the only difference is the amount of the amount of people and the amount of time—you yeah. right. know what I mean—the time is different, and the amount of people are different, but it's basically the same concept. You're just you're just organically coming up with music out of the blue, which I love. It's one of my favorite things, yeah. and I wish my band did that. I, I, that's one thing that I do miss about playing with my trio is we jam at soundcheck all the time, but we don't always jam in front of the people. And I think maybe we should probably just make one spot where we just play. Yeah, like anything can happen. Who cares? It's not a composition just go for it yeah you know, you know or make or fun,
3: or you know. Ma, you know even make a real record that way and do a tour that way and yeah see, and see yeah see how you feel about it yeah you know I mean you know yeah. it's it's really uh, two things bring to mind when you said that one is like it's our responsibility to continually um expand our horizons, mm-hmm. especially at our age. You know, we've we've got a lot of experience by now. We've arrived where we have going to arrive. Of course, we're going to continue to get better, but the amount we're going to get better, it's not like when you're 18. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you, wow, I heard you three months ago. How did you get so good? I'm you just getting I mean? worse. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I like, I like to say, I, pra- I used to practice to get better. Now I practice to keep from getting worse. <laughs> yeah, right. But... but there's that, you know, which is, is – so our ultimate responsibility, that is unless you're like someone like George Benson or Wynton Marsalis or Terence Blanchard, where you you literally have a publicist and a record label and all these people whose who's livelihood depends on you keeping the machine going, you right. know, and you have probably a family nut that's big, you know what I mean, you have to keep, you know. But if, if you're lucky enough to – or unlucky enough to be like us, or particularly me – you know, um, you know, I don't have that. I'm only responsible to myself. I'll be okay. I can play, I can comp, and I can teach. I'll always be, a, you know, regardless, if I, if I do something like start a cowboy band and hit, piss everybody off, oh, I already did that, um, <laughs> or something again like that, and it ruins my career, I'll still be okay. I'll make it to the end of the trail. It's like my real responsibility is to follow my creative urges now. And, and so, yeah, I might piss off some of my fans, but maybe I'll find new ones or maybe they'll come around, you know what I mean? Or maybe I'll come around. It's just all part of the, really our response, the awesome responsibility of art. And, but the other idea, the other thing we had, which we've talked about, which I would really like to just make clear right now, I would love nothing more than to have the Tribal Tech reunion For Guitar Wink, if we can get all the guys or most of the guys here one night, and and just to hear you guys go at it, and I mean, I don't even need to be here; I'll just sit and listen (laughs) when you put it out. Or well, if
2: Covington's in the room, it's just going to be a laugh fest the whole time. (laughs) Okay, but no, my point is, is (laughs) it's like,
3: let's 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 make a tribal tech reunion Reunion. happen here in the studio we won't get willis but we
2: get kinsey and
3: kirk see if willis can make it too it'd be great
2: willis lives in spain so he he Uh. he only comes here during the nam show and you know he came he came with the nam last time and he didn't call me or he didn't call kinsey or he didn't call kirk well you know i mean okay (laughs) so we do it
3: we invite him if he wants to make it great if not let's get the other three the other two i mean and and I would love nothing more than just to hear a revision of history from what's what <laughs> happening inside the funny shit actually yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean it's it would be great I would, and, and that's I would a good bet, idea I would bet that our wankers oh the, the yeah few, they'd love that the yeah. few people that are still listening right now would love if to the hear the four
0: it. of them would love it